the Mike Lupica Podcast. We are back now with the great Mike Lupica. He's one of the country's Mike most Lupica prominent Mike Lupica has covered just about every sport. Candid interviews with legends he calls friends. I was talking to Jordan about Woods after the basketball game mm-hmm. the other night. Everybody wants everybody in sports to be the next this guy, the next this guy. And Michael said, no, he's the first Tiger. In your face questions. How much of a dope is he? Compelling. A billion dollar industry, the biggest we've ever had in sports in this country, often comes down to a flip of the coin. This is the Mike Lupica Podcast. Here's Mike Lupica. Hello and thanks for joining us on the Mike Lupica Podcast. Today we'll be joined by the host of ESPN's new morning show, Get Up. He is the talented Michael Greenberg. But before I get started with Mike, I have to tell you about Gillette. Every morning I use my Gillette razor, I know what I'm getting, a great shave. It's been a consistent part of my daily routine and, and, and my dad's for such a long time. My dad used a Gillette, so there was never anything else in our family. My Pro Glide and Fusion Cream give me the close, comfortable shave I'm looking for. Gillette offers a variety of shaving products for every guy. The new Gillette 3 and Gillette 5 razors start at $7.99 and deliver even more options for every guy by offering trusted quality at an affordable price. The Gillette 3 and the Gillette 5 are both available in stores. For guys looking to get Gillette Performance delivered to their door, you can find Gillette 5 at GilletteOnDemand.com. Check it out today. That's GilletteOnDemand.com. Welcome back to the Mike Lupica Podcast. And we are joined by somebody who I have said for years is my favorite on-air talent at ESPN, Mike Greenberg. Um, he is the host of a new show, um, interesting, called Get Smart, where he plays um, a sort of amusing secret agent. And his um, Agent 99 is play- that That's the show, right, Michael? It, it, I mean, it, it's, it's similar. There are enormous similarities to it. We walk in, all the doors slam shut behind us. So, yes, there are similarities. Yeah, absolutely. Mike is on Get Get Up on, on, on mornings on ESPN, uh, 7 to 10 Eastern Time. And, uh, again, it is, and I say this um, uh, uh, with, with great praise, it, it's, it's a morning joke for sports. It, it, will you, are you accepting of that comparison? Yes, there's no question. So for years and years as I was doing Mike and Mike, what what I discovered was in the early years of Mike and Mike, when they first put us on TV, people would say, I I, I, I switch back and forth between watching you and I miss. And and that was sort of what I would hear most frequently. And then somewhere in the middle of it, and I don't know exactly where, people started saying, I switch back and forth between watching you and Morning Joe. And and so I, I of course, had never had a chance to see it because I have been was on doing mornings long before there was a Morning Joe. And so what I um, what I said to people was obviously there's a thread of commonality between the people who'd be interested in what we're doing and the people who are interested in that. So when we were designing the new show, that was definitely one of the things we had in mind. And obviously, I mean, our content is completely different, but the concepts are reasonably uh, similar. And as we go forward into the football season, I think you'll, you'll start to see a little more of that. Mike, how is the show different now than when it uh, came on the air? Obviously, uh, startup shows always are works in progress. Um, are, uh, do, do you just feel everybody involved with the show um, is more comfortable now than they were when you started? And, and do you feel the show is hitting its stride? Yes. But, well, hitting its stride is a relative term because, like, again, I, the, the show that I did before this one, I did for 18 years. And I would say 10 years into it, I didn't feel like we had hit our stride. <laughs> 
You know, like I'm the kind of person who is going to fixate. I don't know how you are with this stuff, but you and I, you have written much, much, much more than I have, but I too have written. I can never even go back and read things that I wrote because all I do when I do that is find the things I wish I had done differently. Um, and, And so for me, when it comes to this stuff, I am always fixated on the things that I think we're getting wrong rather than the ones that we're getting right. So I'll let you know, when I, when I actually sleep a full night, when I go to sleep and wake up in the morning and never at any point between those two wake up and think about something I wish we had done differently, then I'll feel like we're hitting our stride. And hopefully that'll happen sometime in the next eight years. We're talking to Mike Greenberg on the Gillette Hotline, and Mike has been on this podcast multiple times. And, Michael, um, have you been surprised? I guess you can't say you've been surprised at how much focus there has been on the show because there there was such a buildup to when it finally debuted. Um, It it got caught at the end of Skipper in the beginning of the new regime. and, And do you feel a lot of the noise has subsided at this point? Yeah, I hope so. I mean, I really don't know. I, I here's here's I'm going to use a golf analogy because you and I both love golf, and I can't believe we've gone this long without you making some sort of joke about Tiger Woods. It's coming. Um, it's I coming. know that's it's coming. It's right coming. around the corner. But but if there's one thing that I've learned from golf, and and I when I when we started uh, Mike and Mike, I, I I was a terrible, literally, genuinely a terrible golfer. My handicap was 24, and I was terrible. And and having had as much time free during the day as I've had now, going back to the year 2000, I've worked enormously on my game and one one of the most important things in golf obviously are is is the mental piece of it and the psychological piece of it i've read a ton of books about it uh, bob rotella writes my favorite ones and oh god he changed my life I've michael learned, is a golfer he's the best the best and and, and the, the lessons apply well beyond golf so golf is not a game of perfect i, I would put amongst the 10 my 10 favorite books i've ever read in any genre and one of the things i learned from that is if you step to the first tee thinking, I want to shoot 76 today, you are not maximizing your chances of shooting 76. You're not guaranteeing that you won't, but you're not maximizing your chances of so doing. If you step to the first tee thinking, this is exactly the shot I want to hit here. I want to hit this. I want to hit a little fade, and, I want it, and, and, then, and then I'll worry about the second shot after that one. And then by the, if you keep doing that, then when you're all done and you add them up, you have a decent chance of the number being something that makes you happy. And, and so that's the way I'm trying to approach this, and I try to approach everything. I, I don't really know exactly what people are saying. I'm well aware that there have been a lot of things said and written, but I, I don't think any of them really matter. I think that as so long as we are in the process of figuring the thing out, I am a firm believer that if we do a good show, people will watch it. And so we have to work our way to a place where we feel like we are confident that we are doing a good show. And once we've been doing that for a little while, I'm confident that people will watch it. And so that's really, it, it may sound like a cliche, but it genuinely, I think, uh, applies to everything. Is I, I'm, I'm right now sitting here thinking about what we're going to do at 7 o'clock tomorrow. And I think if we just keep doing that, if we have a bunch of really good 7 o'clock tomorrows, then we'll look up in a month or two months or whenever it is that, that, um, that we do and say, boy, we're getting better. Things are getting better. And, and more and more people will start watching. And so that's the way I'm approaching it. Mike, we're talking Mike Greenberg on the Gillette Hotline. Michael, I was having this conversation with, with my, a, a guy who was uh, my writing hero and a mentor and one of my best friends, the great William Goldman, who wrote The Princess Bride and Butch Cassidy and the Sundance sure. Kid. And he is the guy, by the way, Michael, who he's the one who came up with the phrase, follow the money. It wasn't Woodward and Bernstein. Bill wrote it into the movie of all the president's men. And it didn't really come to light until Mark felt deep throat 
died. But I was saying to him the other day, he gave me a piece of advice about writing that I have never forgotten. And I quoted it back to him the other night. He said, even if you write one good page a day, if you just move your story ahead that much, you had a good writing day. And I, there are days when I'm all over the place and I haven't gotten to the book I'm working on. And then I sit down even late in the day because I like to write in the morning. If I can get one good page done, I feel like I had a good day. So I understand exactly what you're saying about all those good seven o'clock hours. And, and, and off of the success of what you and Golik did, I, I fully expect that you will get it. Uh, Michael, all right. So I, I was going to start with Urban Meyer, but you brought up Tiger and I did a, <laughs> I did a parting shot on the sports reporters podcast the other day about guys like you. I didn't name you in particular, but the two most notable in my lives are two very dear friends of mine. One is Mike Greenberg. The other is Brian Koppelman, who is, along with David Lean, the creator of Billions and just a, a, wrote Rounders and the Ocean's 13, a very cool dude. Okay. They just mm-hmm. absolutely lose their shit over uh, Tiger Woods. Um, <laughs> you you kind of came to your interest in golf because of Tiger Woods. And every time, every time, and Greenberg knows, I torture him on Twitter. Every time Tiger oh, yeah. makes two birdies in a row, Mike thinks he has gotten into the DeLorean time uh, machine and gone back to 2001. And I keep telling him he's not going back there. But with another major, <laughs> with another major coming up this week, I'm sure your blood is beginning to race again. I am excited. And here's what I will say. There is no way in the world we're going back to 2001. I, I think there's a very good chance that we will live the rest of our lives and never see anyone play the way he played for an extended period during that stretch. But I do think there is a chance that we will see, and maybe it'll be this weekend, although I'm not optimistic, but that at some point again in our lives, we will see him put together four magical days. And, and, and you texted or you tweeted something at me about Jack Nicholson in 86 recently, and, 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 and that's the kind of thing I'm talking about, that if he, he will put together four days in one of these majors, and it will be the kind of thing that we will remember the way we now remember Jack Nicholas in 1986. And, and the other thing I'll say about Tiger is that we had people, I, I felt there was an interest in, and the World Golf Classic, I, I think the players make a big deal of that. I don't know how much the average golf fan does. I, I don't know if, a, if, if your average fan out there really perceives a difference between the WGC event and your average tour event. But, I mean, there, there, it just feels like a major every time he plays. I remember when he played in the Valspar. Saturday at the Valspar felt like the freaking Ryder Cup, Mike. <laughs> I mean, I don't even – I had to look up what Valspar is. Turns out it's a paint. I didn't even know. I did not know what Valspar – I'm watching an event. I don't even know what the sponsorship of the event is, but I'm watching it. I'm watching it as though it was the miracle on ice in 1980 on a Saturday because Tiger Woods is playing in it and playing well. And there was just the – there was something about him that brings – as much as I love watching Justin Thomas, and he is unbelievable. He's 145 pounds. He had to drive 396 yards. It's ridiculous. And, and, and I love watching all these guys, but there was something about it when Tiger is doing it that it just – feels different and i will i make no apologies for being as irrationally excited about it as i suppose i am 
But you know what happened at the British Open, right? And you, you know yeah. that this has happened all year long. And, and one thing I constantly try to correct the record on, he was sort of uh, implying at the British Open that he and Serena were somehow the same. He's now played 14 tournaments, if you count the Bridgestone. Serena's basically played two tournaments and lost, got beat out of the first round the other day and, and has gone home to be with her baby. But, but, but the idea that this is still somehow that he's still kicking the rust off. No, 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 no. And every time he has gotten close to the lead this year, every single time he has fallen back. Now, I'm not saying that will happen forever, but, but one of the things that Mr. Greenberg and I talk about, or I try to tell him all the time is the difference between Tiger and these four magical rounds that he's looking for. He's 42 years old now. And, and you can go back and look at how well 40 plus golfers have done, especially in major championships. And, and, and it's, it's not a long list. It, it, guys will get hit by lightning once in a while. And I believe the Tiger's still talented enough to get hit by lightning. I mean, Jack won twice when he was 40, twice. When they opened in the PGA, and then obviously he had uh, the greatest golf tournament of all time at the Masters in, in 1986. But Mike, what happened at the British Open Everything was set up for him. Every single thing. The leaderboard fell away on Sunday. He had played a course where I think going into the last round, and I may be off on my math, he had hit like six or seven drivers. The, he didn't have to hit his driver. He could get away with hitting irons off the tee and stingers. But Michael, on the back nine, being afraid of his driver finally caught up with him. Uh, the hole he made the double, he was 184 yards from the hole. You know how far Rory was on that hole? 65 because he had a driver. And the next yeah. hole where he hit another iron off the tee into the rough, he was 284 yards away from the pin. It, and until he masters the ability to drive it like the kids do, which I don't think he ever will again, I just can't see him being a winner again on the tour. And Mike, the other thing about him is, the depth of the field now feels like it's a hundred times better than when he was in his prime. Because of him. I completely agree with you. Uh, because he brought so many people, I believe, into the tent, something in the neighborhood of 25 years ago, 20 years ago, um, that all those guys who are now 25 uh, wanted to be golfers, and, and so now they all are. Here's the other piece of this, Mike, that I think you're, you're, you didn't mention there, and that I learned from you, that I learned from reading your column is that I think what happens to these great golfers when they get to be in their 40s and they, they feel as though they have a shot in these majors is they start squeezing it so tight oh, yeah. because uh -huh. they don't feel like this. They, they feel like this is my great chance. Like Justin Thomas and Dustin Johnson and, and all those guys, if, if it's going well for them this week, they won't think to themselves because there would be no reason for them to think it. Here's my one last shot at this thing. Because if it doesn't happen for them this year, they've always got next year. But I think when they get to be 38, 40, 42, they, there is a feeling, no matter how hard you try to block it out, that says to you, here it is. This is my one shot. And, and that's the worst possible thing you can be thinking as a golfer. And, and I think that might have entered into it a little bit as well. So I don't think it's just the physical and his inability or his fear of hitting his driver, which I completely agree with you and I see it. Um, but I think there is also an element of, oh, my God, I'm going to do this. And, and here's my shot to do this. And, and that's uh, even if you're the great Tiger Woods, that's a terrible thought to have in your mind when you're actually trying to do it on the back nine on a Sunday, you know, at Carnoustie or practically anywhere. So they, we have both of those things. And, you know, do I know he's going to do it? Of course not. Um, but 
I, I, as you said, I wouldn't bet against him, and I will be sitting and rooting for him to do it. And look, I'll be watching whether he's the one doing it or not. I picked Xander Shoffley to win this week. I and, saw and that just that, now on Twitter, Mr. Greenberg. Or people can't even spell it. But we, I was at, at my, <laughs> at playing golf yesterday, and I was sitting with a bunch of guys, and they were explaining to me why his game perfectly – I don't even know Bell Reeve. I've, I've never been there. I've never seen it. I don't know anything about it. I wasn't watching golf when they, they played, the, I think, in 1982 or whatever it is that they played um, the U.S. Open there. So I don't, They played I don't an really Open there in 1965, and Gary Player beat Kel Nagel in a playoff. There's your tutorial was, for the day. That was it. Okay, yeah, and, and whatever it is, we were just talking about how it sets up for him. He's played well in majors this year. He had a very good chance at the British Open. He's sort of trending in a positive way, so I just took a flyer on him. So my point is I'm watching even if a guy named Xander Shoffley is winning. But if a guy named Tiger Woods is winning, it makes it that much more fun. And, Mike, you know, the, one of the myths that got shattered at Carnoustie at, at the end was if you were paired with Tiger Woods in the last round of a major, you were supposed to be afraid to come out of the uh, locker room. And I, I tweeted out early in the day, I said, just remember, if he's going to win the British Open, he has to beat the guy he's playing with. And, 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 and Molinari played this flawless round, and it was Tiger who fell away. And you know what else, Mike? When you talk about nerves, and, and again, I have played this game since, since I was nine years old. I've occasionally played it at a high level. I couldn't believe the mistake he made when he made the double bogey. Mike, at that point, you cannot try to hit a hero shot. All you have to do, you put the ball on the green somewhere, hope you make a 25-footer, take your medicine, and, and go on. Because what's the worst thing that can happen there? What happened to him? A double bogey. I agree completely, and the, the only thing I can like, who am I to put my myself in Tiger's head if he's, you know, he's won 14 majors, and and you know, I, I'm me, but. I think that having hit the ridiculous shot that he hit out of the bunker on the previous hole gave him this feeling. You know, it, it sort of contributed to the feeling of I've got everything working today. I'm gonna, I can do everything today. I can pull off this miracle shot here and still make a par. And, um, and, and that was what got into his head. And he tried an incredibly difficult shot, and he missed it by about two feet. But we all know that two feet in golf can turn into winning or losing a golf tournament. They made one more bogey, and that was, the, that was the end of that. And, yes, Molinari was terrific, and he stared Tiger down. And, look, the one thing Tiger used to have going for him that he doesn't anymore is the Tiger effect. You are correct. No one is, none of these guys are afraid of him. Molinari wasn't, and Molinari isn't a kid. These kids don't even think about it. I don't think Justin Thomas or Jordan Spieth or any of those younger guys um, give any of that any thought. So he doesn't have all the things working for him that he once did, and, and he's not going to win at the level that he once did. But I do believe he'll win a tournament again. And if it happens to be, and it will be great when he does, I will enjoy it when he does. And if it happens to be one of the four that people remember forever, then that will make it that much better. We're talking with one of the great conversationalists in the world of sports, Mike Greenberg. Michael, it's interesting to me, and you've seen me write this for a long time. We've had this conversation before. Uh, over the last 30 years, okay, and, and this is a 30 years where there are a lot of great players in a lot of sports. The three greatest stars in American sports were these. Michael Jordan, Tiger Woods, LeBron James. How come Brady, as great as Brady is, we never think of him that way? It's a good question. You know, certainly from the standpoint of his accomplishment, he belongs, 100% belongs. Um, Is is it the difference in the sport that he plays? I mean, how many football players, you would think that the quarterback of a football team, I I feel like in my youth, I'm a little bit younger than you are, so I grew up watching, really understanding sports in the 70s. 
And in the 70s, I feel like the quarterbacks of football teams were about the biggest stars that we had in sports. I feel like Terry Bradshaw and Roger Staubach and maybe the very tail end of Joe Namath, maybe that was of particular interest in my house because we were a Jets household. But I feel like those guys were about the biggest stars in sports. And, and the big home run hitters in baseball, Reggie Jackson and the very tail end of Hank Aaron and uh, people like that were the biggest stars in sports. And somewhere along the line, basketball just sort of lapped those guys, just ran past them. And, and they created stars like no other sport has created stars, to the point that there probably aren't more than two or three baseball players that could right now could walk into almost any very crowded establishment in New York City at 7.30 on a Saturday night and be recognized by more than 10% of the people in the room. Now, Tom Brady obviously would be recognized by basically everybody. Does he belong in the, in the conversation? Is, is he as just flat-out famous as LeBron James is? No, he's probably not. Um, you know, I'm not even sure he ever got to be quite as flat-out famous as Peyton Manning did, um, and Peyton Manning still may be, and Brett Favre, candidly, uh, did and still may be. Brady's sort of got a, an, an aloofness about him, maybe. Um, I mean, I, and I, I'm a fan. I know that I, I don't like the Patriots just based upon the fact that I root for their rival, but, or if, if you can even call the Jets the Patriots' rival. But, um, you know, I, I, think, I think Brady has never really courted that sort of thing in the way that some of the other stars have, the way that, that Manning did and Favre kind of did. Um, so maybe that's it. It's a, it's a good question. I don't know that I really have a good answer. We're talking to Mike Greenberg on the Mike Lubica podcast. More with Mike after I tell you about LinkedIn. The right hire can make a huge impact on your business, but where do you find that individual? You could try posting on the job boards, but you can only be sure the right person sees your job. Instead, find the person who will help you grow your business with LinkedIn. LinkedIn Jobs matches people to your role based on more of who they really are, their skills, interests, and even how they open up to new opportunities. This way, your job gets seen by more of the right people. Most LinkedIn members haven't recently visited the top job boards, but nine out of 10 members are open to new opportunities, so you can only reach them on LinkedIn. Hurry to linkedin.com slash Lupica and get $50 off your first job post. That's linkedin.com slash Lupica to get $50 off your first job post. LinkedIn.com slash Lupica. Terms and conditions apply. Tennis is not as popular. You know, I thought for the, the, that you could make the case that Federer was the goat of all the goats because of what he has done to, to the age that he's done it in tennis, which is unprecedented. Um, and, and obviously what Serena has done. But I still think that the three guys, you know, the, the, the Mount Rushmore of what we're talking about only has four busts right now, Michael. It's Michael, it's Tiger, and it's LeBron. And, the, and, and you're taking that back to when, roughly? Like you're talking about basically since the beginning of Michael. Since um, the beginning, yeah. Since think, the beginning of Michael. If it is yeah. the Mount Rushmore, then who's the fourth? Who's the fourth face? Is is the fourth? I mean, in terms of accomplishment, the fourth. Well, face then it's got to be Brady. And then, but then if you start adding tennis players, I, you know, Brady right. to me and Federer are a very interesting part of the conversation. Except only I still, only I still care about tennis. No, you and I together. I, I love it that you still go. I love that you're at Wimbledon, and you're, and you're, I'm I'm getting my updates from you half the time. Um, so yes, I, I think that's right. I think I, I think Brady does go there. I mean, I, I'm I'm trying to think who else would even be 
in the discussion in historical or Tom Brady is the most accomplished quarterback that ever played football. And, and quarterback in football is one of these magical um, you know, positions. It, it, it comes with, with more than, than other things do, maybe more than any other thing does. The great quarterbacks going back to Sammy Baugh and Otto Graham and, and through you know, Bart Starr and John Unitas and all of that. And of all of them, you can quibble over who was actually the best, but I don't think you can quibble over who accomplished the most. I think Brady is the most accomplished and thus, to me, the greatest quarterback that ever lived. So if you're going to be that, then I'm not sure what Mount Rushmore it is we could be putting together that he doesn't belong on. Okay, let's talk about you. We're going to talk about Urban Myers because I think it's a fascinating conversation, and and I want to know yeah. what Mike uh, thinks about it. But let's talk about your Jets for a second, Mr. Greenberg. And mm-hmm. here's what I have said. Here's what I have said since the NFL draft. And I love Saquon Barkley, and Saquon Barkley may turn out to be, for as long as his running back career lasts, a transformative figure for the New York Giants. But if Sam Darnold becomes the franchise quarterback that the Jets think he can become and does that in the Giants building, the one they share with the Jets, then the Giants were wrong and the Jets were right. What say you? Yeah, that's probably true. It it, it depends on the value of one championship. So because the caveat to that would be, I feel like what the Giants did was they sort of put all their eggs in in a short-term basket. That actually doesn't take great insight. They obviously put all of their eggs in Eli's basket and said, we think we can make a run at winning another one of these things in the next two years. And obviously they're going to have to figure out something with Odell Beckham's contract. And I think that is right now currently the most interesting story going on in, in football on the field anyway, is, is what the Giants and Beckham are going to do if he doesn't have a deal when these games start. But, but having said that, Assuming they have Beckham and they have Barkley and they went out and they got the left tackle and all these players they have on defense are theoretically back and healthy, what is the value of one championship? So if if they win a title, if if Eli has another one of these runs like he's had a few times before, and let's say he, he gets back there and beats Brady and Belichick again, then will that have been worth it? And to me, as, a, as someone who has never seen his team win a championship, I would answer yes. Now, does that actually mean, is that actually more valuable than getting 12 to 15 years of well above average quarterback play? You know, that, that, that now you're having a different debate. Now you're having a different discussion. But I, I will not criticize, I will not say I think the Giants got it wrong if in the next year or two, they, they managed to take this group with Eli and put it back together again and win a Super Bowl. Where would you fall on that? Because that, that, that to me would be, that would be the one um, counter-argument, whatever it is that Darnold turns out to be. No, Mike, I think you're right about that, but I don't think the Giants are going to. I mean, that's just my opinion. And you're talking to a kid who grew up in, in upstate New York where the biggest athletic moment when I was little was, was the Giants versus Jim Brown uh, a couple of times a year and, 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 and at a time when you got that one game to watch. So I, here, I, I will say this again. I've said it to my Giant fan sons. My two oldest are Giants fans. My youngest, Zach, is a Packers fan. From, from, that's just the power of Brett Favre when he was little in DirecTV. If the Jets are right about Darnold, the Giants were wrong about Barkley because they could have taken a quarterback who could play 10 or 15 years for him. That, that's just, yeah. and, and, and if Darnold does it at MetLife, it just exacerbates what I'm saying. Yes, I mean, I see what you're saying. And, and I, look, I was, no one was more thrilled than I was when, 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 when Roger Goodell said the words, 
Saquon Barkley after the words, the New York Giants select, <laughs> that sound you heard was me <laughs> screaming, run the card up there. Don't let anything happen here because this, this obviously is the, it was the most un-Jets-like thing in the world. This kid fell into their lap. And, and I really hope, and I don't think they will. I, I really don't. I, I don't believe that, that the, the, the Jets are in a place right now where the coach feels as though he needs to play a rookie quarterback for the sake of his job security. The, the most important thing the New York Jets can do right now, literally more important than anything else they might accomplish this year, is to begin the process of developing Sam Darnold into that guy for the next 12 to 15 years. So if that means playing him a lot, then play him a lot. If it means playing him a little, then play him a little. If it means playing him not at all, then play him not at all. And that's what I'm rooting for. I want all of those things to happen because if you do develop that guy and he does turn into what you want him to be, um, then yes, this then this was the best thing that has happened to the Jets probably since Joe Namath decided to take a flyer on a fledgling league called the American Football League and changed the sport forever as we know it. This would be the best thing that has happened to them since then, and that was 1965. You know what, I, Mike, Mike, I just, I, I, if I'm a Jets fan, I'm happy right now. I'm excited about the season because the outcome that you wanted at the start of the season is that you got Sam Darnold. And you ended up getting Sam Darnold, and you didn't have to go 0-16 to do it. So in that sense, you're ahead of the game. And listen, I'm Mike, I may be dead wrong about this kid. I think this kid's the real deal. I think he's going to be an NFL star. Boy, do I hope you're right. Well, I mean, that's all, and and here, here's what I think. I think that for the most part, in that sport, more than any other, the circumstances into which a person is placed – has more to do with how that person ultimately does than in any other sport. So what I mean by that is, if you have a freakishly good basketball player, you can put that basketball player practically anywhere, and he is going to flourish. If you have a freakishly good baseball player, you can put that baseball player practically anywhere, and he will flourish. You, I, I, we will never know, and he himself, unfortunately, will never know, what David Carr, Derek's older brother, might have been had he been drafted into the right place. My, my father went to his grave saying that if the New York Jets had drafted Dan Marino instead of Ken O'Brien, Marino would never have been Marino. And who knows what Ken O'Brien would have turned into. Um, so the circumstance, you have to get it right. You have to get all these little pieces of it right. There were six first-round quarterbacks taken this year. How many of them will turn out well that will have a lot to do with how well-developed they are with coaching, with, with, with the circumstances that they play in, with who they're surrounded by, with how patient people are willing to be. I, I, I wonder how many quarterbacks that could have been really good never got to be based upon being in bad situations, and how many quarterbacks who were really only who were merely good or average wound up in really good situations and, and wound up in with, with Hall of Fame or borderline Hall of Fame careers. I, I think that's a very codependent position, and a lot of it will have to do with how well the Jets do around him. Talking to my buddy Mike Greenberg on the Gillette Hotline. All right, before we get to Urban Meyer, I, as I'm talking to you on, on, on the laptop screen in front of me, stop me if you've heard this one before. Jacob DeGrom has pitched a bunch of shutout, shutout innings today oh, no. against the Cincinnati Reds. His earned run average is 1.77. His, if the, it, the score is 5 nothing, Michael, so if the bullpen doesn't completely implode today, he's going to go to 6-7. and seven. Is Jacob DeGrom a Cy Young candidate, even if he ends up with it like an 8-11 and 11 record this year? 
Oh, my goodness, yes. And anyone who wouldn't vote for him based on that, I believe they should have their vote taken away. Um, and, and I can't imagine that anyone, look, one loss record has always been a somewhat imperfect measure of a pitcher's um, of a pitcher's season and, and how and a pitcher's accomplishment, but in the day where pitchers were expected to pitch the overwhelming majority of most games that they participated in, at least you could say that it was that 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 if they didn't uh, if they didn't win a game if they lost a game two to one, well if your team only scores one over the course of of nine innings, then you're supposed to not give up two. But in an era where many of these guys are winning, where we celebrate the pitcher who makes it through six innings. That is considered a quality start. If a guy pitches into the sixth inning, we are generally satisfied with his performance. Then how in the world can you look at one loss? I I would say that is, I don't even know that makes the top five of statistical categories that are significant when it comes to what a pitcher is accomplishing. So the overwhelming answer is yes. Who has pitched better than that guy has pitched this year in the National League? I I, I haven't really sat down and thought about it much. I mean, where has Max Scherzer been in the last uh, couple of weeks since I last looked at these numbers? Um, I I don't even know exactly who the other candidates are, but let's take that out of the equation for a minute. The, 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 The question to me, boy, boils down to, should not having a gaudy one-loss record um, play a significant role in deciding whether a pitcher should win the Cy Young Award or not? And to me, the obvious answer is absolutely not. Talking to Mike Greenberg on the Gillette Hotline. Okay, Urban Meyer, Michael, until last Friday, and Urban uh, Meyer issued what I call a sports apology, I thought that he might lose his job at Ohio State. I no longer think that because it almost sounded to me like he had crafted a nuanced legal position that that his lawyers and his representatives think can get him by. Michael, I don't know what you have been saying about this, so I, I will just tee you up this way, okay? Um, mm-hmm. In in a Me Too world, he got he got caught in a bad place here, okay? And and the problem is that he clearly lied on media a Big Ten media day. Um, I don't think anybody thinks that his wife didn't know about what was happening in Zach Smith's marriage. And, and he clearly had a conversation about this with Zach Smith as far back as 2015. But Mike, if my, my oldest son said this to me the other day, if he survives, don't you think he's going to survive for two reasons? One, he is not the one who is accused of, of any form or fashion of domestic violence. They don't want to fire him because of a lie. And, oh, by the way, he's Urban Meyer. Yes, correct. Now, first, the, 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 the most important part of it is he's not the one who's involved in, in, in right, any right. domestic violence directly. That, that would be a disqualifier regardless of who you are. Um, the next piece of it is the statement that he released that you're referring to. It was explained to me. I'm, I'm not a lawyer, but I have a few friends, as we you all do, that we trust. You play one on television, Mike. You play a lawyer I, I play on one occasionally on TV. And, and it, was, it, was, it was described to me by someone as a statement meant to protect his $38 million. Whether it protects his job or not, it protected the $38 million that he is still owed. It is one thing for them to decide they have to move away from Urban Meyer. It is another thing for them to feel they can do so with cause. So that, that, the, the very crafted legalese that you are describing was, just, was, um, was explained to me by someone as, that's a guy trying to make sure that no matter what happens, he walks away from this with $38 million, for whatever that part of it is worth in the discussion. Um, next, 
I don't understand something in this, which is why did he say what he said at the Big Ten Media Day? What what part of this, what part of that made sense? Do you know what I mean? Like was he 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 was obviously lying, but why? And for whom? That, that there, there's a, there is something in the story that I, that I don't understand, and I've been trying to figure out, and obviously I can't ask any of the people in, directly involved in it um, what it is. But it seems to me he knows he fired Zach Smith. That isn't a secret. That isn't a, a mistake. He, he is obviously aware of what the reasons were. Why would he say something so totally inflammatory as that, uh, as, as to cast aspersions on the very notion that anything may have happened, when I don't feel like it would necessarily have done him any harm to acknowledge or, or even to say, you know, there are things there that are private and, and personnel matters, and I, I don't want to comment on them publicly or something. The notion to have gone as far in the other direction as he did, um, so almost to antagonize the people asking the question and to invite, I think, more speculation towards it than otherwise, and to open himself up to exactly what has happened as a result, I don't understand it. There has to be an explanation for that, and I don't know what it is. If the explanation is as simple as he was doing this in some sort of blind loyalty to his mentor, Earl Bruce, and thought it was in the best interest of Earl Bruce's grandson that he, Urban Meyer, handle it this way, then boy, did he screw that up. He couldn't have done it worse. Um, so that's, that, would, that would be my question in all of this. I, I know you're looking for an answer, and I, no, but, but I don't really I, have I, I one. I have a question. Why did he do it? Yeah, that, that's what I think. What I think is something doesn't make sense. Like, he, he's not, Urban Meyer has been around the block and back, and, and I've been around him a little. I, I don't know if you have or not, but he worked at no. ESPN for a little while between jobs, between Florida and Ohio State. I've been around him. He is a, as, as, and this should come as no surprise, that is a smart guy. Um, and, and so he's smart enough and savvy enough and has been around media enough to recognize um, there are ways to try and, and, and diminish the interest in something, and he went as far from that as you possibly could. So I don't, I don't understand why he handled it the way he handled it. Um, and if he winds up getting fired because there is, there, there, there's a, a, an enormous amount of pressure comes down on the university because it all looks so bad because he lied to cover it up, then, then I think in that regard he'll have no one to blame but himself. Because it's, it's one thing to not have if, – if he took the proper steps but didn't go above and beyond, which we would all like to think we would do in a circumstance like that, I think he'll survive that. But if he then lied to the public to try to further cover it up, I can see there being an additional layer of scrutiny and criticism for that. So I, I think unless there's something in this that we don't know yet, I feel like he handled it very badly. I, I'm reading the statement again, Michael, as you're, as you're talking. Um, my, this is Meyer talking. My words, whether in a reply to a reporter's question or in addressing a personnel issue, what the hell personnel issues he's talking about, must be clear, compassionate, and most of all, completely accurate. Unfortunately, at Big Ten Media Days on July 24th, I failed on many of these fronts. My intention was not to say anything inaccurate or misleading. Well, yeah, 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 it was. That's it. But but that's it. But that see, that's the line because he, what 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 the lawyer told me is that they could fire him for if if you if you intention if they're looking for a reason to fire him with cause that one of those reasons can be that he willfully misrepresented this that he lied about this which brought greater uh, shame you know the morals clause that all of us have in our contracts that he did something that brought further shame and and all of that to the university. 
and that they would not be able necessarily fire him for a Title IX violation, but fi- fire him for a, a violation of his morals clause. And that is what that statement, by saying, I did not lie, I did not intentionally mislead, that that lawyer was explaining to me that that, he thought, was in order to protect his $38 million. Here's what I think is going to happen. And I, I will make you a prediction. And just yeah. based on my reading of this situation, I think he is going to get some kind of suspension. I don't know whether it will be two games or, or a deflate gate four games, but I do think he is going to survive. And again, I did not think that until I read this statement and, and it sounded like this was, these were the terms of the engagement between him and the university. Now, this could go in a whole other different direction there's some serious lawyers on this Uh, mary joe white a former u.s attorney uh, is part of this committee to decide urban meyer's fate but uh, the 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 one thing that i thought he was in trouble for michael and i want to get your thought on this i was shocked at how quickly they put him on administrative leave Yes, me too. Again, I, I have some people that I call when things like this happen and say, what does this mean? And they immediately said, this is what they do when they're going to fire you. Um, it's what they did with Patino, and it's exactly what they do when they're planning to fire you, and they need some time to figure out if they, if they, 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 they put you on paid administrative leave so that you cannot then come back and say they acted too quickly and all of that stuff. They acted rashly when they tried to take all of the rest of the money they owe you away. And here's Rick Patino, whatever we are now, year removed from from um, being uh, fired at Louisville and still in a fight over all the tens of millions of dollars that they owe him. And that might be where we wind up finding Urban Meyer a year from now if they try to fire him with cause. My gut feeling, and it's, it's sort of, there's not much point in, in, in having a gut feeling on something like this because there's so much we don't know. My gut feeling as of this minute, subject to change in the next 10 minutes, depending on the, on the circumstances, is to agree with you that, that ultimately he is going to stay there. They will suspend him. There will be a lot of criticism over this because no matter what they do, look, this is the school that ultimately fired Jim Tressel. Because of something that, at its core, boiled down to trading um, a football player trading his gold pants that he had earned because of his performance as a player for free tattoos. So at the end of the day, Jim Trestle got fired because of something that stemmed from free tattoos. And Urban Meyer, if he doesn't get fired, will have not gotten fired from something that stemmed from domestic violence. And th- that the optics of that are terrible, and I fully understand that the circumstances are not the same, and it is not an apples-to-apples comparison. But there are a lot of, we, we do a lot of things in life now based upon the optics. And so I think they will struggle with the optics of that, and there will be some criticism. But like many other things, um, th- that will probably eventually die down. And look, if we, if we know anything, we know sports fans will cheer you if, 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 if you are on their side and you are winning games. Um, so my, right now, my gut feeling is that you are right and that he will keep his job. But let us see. We got, there are a lot. I think there are still quite a few shoes left to drop. We're talking to my buddy, Mike Greenberg. He is the, one of the hosts of Get Up on, on ESPN. He is an accomplished author, of course. Of course, he's written a children's book now. I mean, re- seriously, who hasn't, okay? Donating <laughs> all of the proceeds to charity. Michael, talk a little bit about the book because I am remiss that I've taken this long uh, to bring it up. 
Oh, that's nice of you to do. Yeah, so my wife Stacy and I, we, we started a little foundation to raise money for cancer research in honor of a very, very close friend of ours who died in 2009. I wrote a book years ago that you were nice enough to have me on your old radio show on to talk about called All You Could Ask For, and we donate all of the money from that to breast cancer research at the V Foundation. And we didn't want it to end like that. Um, that book still sells a tiny little bit and trickles here and there, but we, we wanted to try to do something new. And in the last couple of years, my wife has been posting a lot of pictures of our ridiculously cute dog, Phoebe, on Instagram, and people have reacted very nicely to it. And so she had the idea, why don't we try to do a children's book with, with Phoebe as the star? And so we did. Um, and so the book is called MVP, Most Valuable Puppy. It's a classic children's picture book. And we decided because of, of, of the, you know, the, the subject matter of the book that it would make sense to donate the money, in this case, to pediatric cancer research. So that's what we do. So 100% of our proceeds go to the V Foundation and a specific grant to combat pediatric cancer. We're talking with my pal Michael Greenberg on the Mike Lubica podcast. More with Greeny in a minute. But first, a word from Geico. There's a quick way you could save money. Just switch to Geico. All it takes is 15 minutes to find out if you could save 15% or more on car insurance. And Geico offers coverage for more than just car insurance. Got a motorcycle? Geico's got you covered. Got an RV? Covered. Got a boat? Covered. How about a homeowner's or renter's insurance? You bet Geico's got you covered. Go to Geico.com today and see how much you could save. That's Geico.com. Mike, you know, I have been in that world for, for, for since Travel Team in 2004. And I would think that it has been an incredibly, incredibly heartwarming moment for you and Stacy to see what these events are like with kids and to see in a world I talk about this all the time I've spoken at, at hundreds of schools since I started writing books uh, for young readers okay how much kids still want to read that with all the stuff they can do that we couldn't do when we were growing up they they st- I, I always tell them that there's nothing greater than chapter one page one of a book you really want to read yeah, that's great. And you are doing a, a terrific service with that. My, my book is so totally different. So your books are meant for, for kids between, I mean, I, and my son Stephen has read every one of your books. Um, you know, kids call it from the age of nine to the, you know, until they graduate yeah. from uh-huh. high school-ish. So our, our book is a children's book. It's meant to be read to a three-year-old. So it's different from that. But what I will say about the events um, is even when I, when I went on a book tour with All You Could Ask For, and there were so many people there, primarily women who were battling breast cancer, that's something we're somewhat accustomed to seeing. You know, we're accustomed to seeing people, men and women, who, who, with their heads shaved and, and all of that sort of thing in the, in the, you know, when they're battling cancer. And, and, and it's, it's difficult, but they're brave. And, 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 and it's, it's, it was very different in this case. Because we had a lot of people bringing their kids to our events and things like that. And when there, when there are eight-year-olds who are, are fighting cancer, that as a father, as a parent, and, and you, know, you and I have talked about our kids, your four kids and my two kids, that is really hard. And, and that part of it was much harder for me than I anticipated. And, um, you know, I mean, they're so inspirational. They're so courageous. They're, they're just, I mean, it's incredible. Not, not a one of them ever walked up to me and said, hi, Mr. Greenberg, please feel sorry for me. You know, they have the greatest attitude of anyone you'll ever meet, it, practically universally. <clears throat> but that part of it was, was harder for me than I anticipated it being. Um, but it made me all the more resolute and thrilled that we decided to do it. 
Talking to Mike Greenberg, who is nice enough in an incredibly busy schedule, getting up extremely early. He's 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 doing Mike K's uh, TV radio show today. So a couple more things. And I, I don't even want to get into the politics of this. I've been discussing this for a week on MSNBC. But I just I, I took a step back the other day. I was on with Nicole Wallace on, on Monday talking about this. What a, what a wonderful American life LeBron James is, is leading. This, this I promise school, Michael, I, I've, I've been doing this a long time. And I know the great work that Andre Agassi has done with schools out, uh, out in Nevada. I believe that LeBron James, who is still only 33 years old, can, can lead a life of importance away from his sport the way my dear friend Arthur Ashe did, the way Billie Jean King continues to do. I said this to Nicole the other day, Mike. Ali did not start out wanting to change the world. He just didn't want to go be in the army and he didn't think he had to be told to go to Vietnam. And then he evolved from, from there. LeBron James has honored his, the money he's made. He's honored his own talent. He's honored his platform. He's honored the city that produced him. And, and Mike, I, this sounds highfalutin. It's thrilling watching the things he is doing with this school. I completely agree with you. Um, he, here's, here's what I think. I think that when, when, when I was covering Michael Jordan at a time, a daily, I worked locally in Chicago before I went to ESPN, and so I was around him all the time, and I loved him. He was a terrific person to deal with and to be around um, when he was the most famous person in the world. And he was regularly criticized in those days for not being more politically and socially aware. And I always defended him, and I continue to, because I believe that the only obligation any person has is to be a decent human and, and to treat other people well. And if you choose to go well beyond that, then good for you. God bless you. That's terrific. But the only obligation, the only thing that all of us, I think, are, are obliged to do um, is to treat people well. And, 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 and Michael Jordan always did that. And I'm not going to criticize anyone for not wanting to go farther than that if they are not moved to do so for whatever reason. It, it just isn't who they are. Um, when you see someone like LeBron James, who... Um, I mean, I, I sit and think about it sometimes. And the, the name of their entertainment company, the name of the company that he and Maverick and all those guys started is called Spring Hill. That, that's because that's the name of the housing complex that they were raised in, yep. in Akron, Ohio. Yep. I mean, it's, it, is, it is a miracle. It, it, is, it is a once, it's not once in a generation. I mean, that story is, is his life is, is once in a century. Uh, well, that, maybe that's a bit of exaggeration. Certainly once in a, once in a generation is, is, is feel doesn't feel like it's saying enough. I agree with you. I'm, I'm sitting here trying to find a way to add to what you said, and I don't even know how I would do it. I, I, I agree fully with everything you said. I admire him enormously. Um, the notion that anyone would, would attack his intelligence is so ridiculous that it doesn't, it doesn't even feel worthy of response. Um, but but he, I agree with you. I, I admire him for being so many things. For a person to, to be as famous as he has been, for as long as he has been, and that literally the two, the only two criticisms of him that I can imagine that are legitimate are, A, he somewhat inartfully handled his initial department, departure from Cleveland, right. and B, he sometimes argues calls too much with referees. Those are literally the only two criticisms of him that I accept as being legitimate. So if, if, that, if that's your epitaph, if that's where you are after having been, he may only be 33, but he's been famous for 17 years, um, that then, then I don't know how much better you can be doing than that. 
Michael, I said this the other day on television. Just just look at the two guys involved. You can't even call it a debate because LeBron is just not is unwilling and and doesn't find it necessary to answer back. One guy started the I Promise School for at risk kids. The other guy started Trump University. Jump ball, right, Mike? I saw that. I saw that. I saw you and many others making that comparison. You know, it makes me sad. I'll be honest with you, Mike, and I, I read all the stuff that you write. I know that you, for years now, have written in the front of the newspaper as well as the back. All I do is follow the news generally. I, I, I try to consider myself a reasonably well-informed person, and I don't chime in. Um, but I will say that I am disheartened just at the state of the discourse, um, yep. you know, just sort of sitting back and as as a person who's, you know, I'm not, a, I, I still, because I started out in this business and had a little bit of success in it when I was very young and everyone used to refer to me as all the time as being so young. Um, I was on the road covering Michael Jordan when I was 24. That I still sometimes think of myself as being very young. And, and now, but, but every now and again, I sit back. It was just my birthday the other day. You know, I'm 51 years old. Um, you know, you sort of sometimes take a little bigger picture look at the world. And, and you look at, at, at what the world looks like for my kids who are just starting out. You know, my daughter's going to be a senior in high school this year. Um, and, and I look at the sort of the state of, of the world that they, are, that they are now going to live in. And, um, and it, I find it disheartening. And, and um, it makes me – I know a lot of people feel very angry right now, and there are days that I feel very angry. But mostly I feel very sad, and, and I hope that um – yeah, you know, I hope that things will significantly change in the next, let's call it, decade. Um, and I, I don't know exactly where that change is going to start. I hope that it starts soon. Um, but I hope that we, you know, someone said, a, said it a really smart way to me the other day. I was interviewing, I'll, I'll drop a name for you here. I was interviewing Danny Meyer, the great restaurateur and sure, yeah. the CEO of Shake Shack and all of that for a podcast that I'm launching in the fall. And And he said to me, we were talking about this, and he said to me, you know, when I was a kid, him talking, we used to argue between the 40s. We used to argue between the 40s. I was on the 140-yard line. You were on the other 40-yard line, and, and, and that's where we were arguing. We're now arguing between the 10s, and so the problem is we can't hear each other, and so all we do is shout louder. And, and that's not doing anybody any good. And it is, it is just disheartening to me. And if we can find some way just to move a little closer to midfield, one way or the other, um, I think that I will feel a whole lot better about things. I got one laugh for you before we go. And again, we, we have to do this more often. So, someday we got to figure out a way that, that somebody will pay, uh, pay us to talk to each other. You, what you just said made me think of my favorite line that I ever heard about hockey. The great Dan Jenkins said that the whole NHL season should just be you take the two best teams, you put one team in New York, you put the other team in Los Angeles, you drop the puck in Iowa, first team to get it in the ocean wins. <laughs> that's really good i'm a huge fan of dan jenkins I, I just read this fabulous column that he has in this month's uh, golf digest about 68 years of covering the masters so that's good yeah that's good and that that is a similar thought i like it all right uh, mike uh, get, all right everybody get up and watch get up with 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 michael and and michelle beetle and jalen rose go buy um mvp most valuable puppy because it's a very good uh, cause and michael i again i know how busy you are and i but i also know how much i enjoy this so thank you very much for doing this today well i enjoy it just as much thank you mike it's great to talk to you and i'll see you soon Mike Greenberg, again, this is our conversation. You've heard Michael on this podcast before. Our numbers continue to grow, continue to download, continue to subscribe. Um, if you want to leave comments, leave comments, and I'll talk to you next week, everybody. The Mike Lupica Podcast is produced and distributed by Compass Media Networks in conjunction with Hiltzik Creative. 
For iPhone users, go to the podcast app and search the Mike Lupica podcast. Click on the Mike Lupica podcast icon and subscribe. For non-iPhone users, you can listen on Google Play Music, TuneIn, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast platform.